guys. Welcome back to Talk To Me Sister podcast. Season two. If you're new to the pod, we're twin sisters and a ton has happened since last season. Um, you had my baby. <laughs> I'm a cancer survivor. Kathy had my baby. The baby's here, happy and healthy. Yes, and we're advocates for women's health and we're gonna cover a lot of topics this season. So thanks for following along. You guys were really excited that Kelly Thompson is here talking about healthy sleep habits for our kids. Kelly is a certified pediatric sleep consultant, mom of three, and a former elementary school teacher. Her own personal experience living through sleep deprivation guided her passion in helping families improve their sleep journeys. Let's see, your company's been going on for about six years now, which is incredible. Her company, Serenity Sleepers, is committed to helping families develop peaceful sleepers using only the safest, healthiest, and most gentle approaches that are based on proper sleep science. This is so exciting. Kelly, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited and extra excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is all about the sleep. Yes. <laughs> and Kelly, this is so relevant because I've obviously, you know, our story I've done Ryder. He's three months old this week. So this yes. is like all these things I need to hear. Also, Kathy and I both have toddlers, which we'll yes. talk about that too. Toddlers still struggle with sleep, yes. especially mine. So if not more, um, then if not more, babies. I know I'm <laughs> yeah. thinking my newborn sleeps better than my toddler, but we'll get there. Um, but Kelly, tell us about like how you got started in this line of work. You know, what spurred you wanting to become a sleep expert? Of yeah. course. So I am a former elementary teacher and my passion for sleep actually started years ago in the classroom. And I taught fifth grade mainly. And I really would see that there was a lot of issues around children having sleep deprivation and how it affected their entire life from their school day to their emotions to mm-hmm. how they were completing schoolwork. And it always came around to one of the topics of why was their sleep. So I really wanted to dive in and learn more and see how I could help children really, you know, avoid a lot of these issues with sleep if we could. And while I was um, teaching in my last year teaching, I w- became pregnant with my son, Easton, who is now 10. And Aww, I really love that name. Want, thank you. Um, I really wanted to set in place proper sleep foundations for him, really learn how I could set it off you know, on the right path for him. So I really dove into researching, learning more, reading more, you know, 10 years ago, it was really 11 years ago when I was pregnant almost, um, you know, they didn't have a lot out there. We didn't have podcasts and we didn't have all these websites and all the people that would tell you about sleep. So it was really a lot of me researching and digging in and reading books and just learning about sleep. And from there, I really became the go-to with friends and family on how to help their little ones sleep, how to set in in place proper sleep foundation. And fast forward a little bit to my second child, who is now six. Her name is Ellis. And Ellis came into this world with a lot of health issues. And with those health issues brought along sleep issues. And while I was certified right before she was born, um, and I started my business right when she was born, um, I was doing this and helping families, but at the same time, I was going through a lot of sleep struggles with her health issues. So it just gave me that added drive that I Mm -hmm. wanted to help more families, especially those families that might have more complicated situations, or we might be dealing with more health issues going on as well, and how I could help them, you know, set in place healthy sleep foundations for their own children. 
That's so That's good. amazing. That's so interesting. You were seeing, uh, you know, you were teaching fifth graders. Yes. Yes. So it's like, you know, you always think sleep, healthy sleep habits, you're thinking newborn, but mm, it's but really I, all the way up. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like in the past 10 years, like you said, sleep in terms of like it being included as like a part of your health has Mm -hmm. gotten more attention. Like, you know, now even as a dietitian, we talk about like, you can't lose weight if you're not sleeping. You can't have good mental health if you're not sleeping. You know, your hormones are out of whack if you're not sleeping. And these are all like adult issues. Yeah. And that's what, you know, this is one of the most important things we are going to have in our life. And without proper and healthy sleep, so many other areas of our life are affected. So it's one of the top most important things we need. And as a society, it's a lot of times at the bottom of our list. You know, we need to make it a top priority and move it up that list because when we are getting better sleep, so many other things in our life go into place so much easier. And we just see a lot of positive results from it when we are getting healthy sleep and that starts from our newborn babies all the way to us as adults and how we can, you know, get better sleep happening. Well, Sarah and I just talked about this a little bit in the postpartum episode that we released this week. You know, I felt in my postpartum journey that I healed so much faster. My mental health was more in control than any other postpartum journey because I came home and slept, but it's such a hard thing to do when you have a newborn and you're also trying to heal. We were also trying to get into a new routine. So it does, I think for moms, it starts with baby having a good sleep habit because if baby's not sleeping, mom's not sleeping. So that's brings us to our first question. You talk kind of online and in your courses about solid sleep foundation. Can you tell us what that is? And I think there's top three or something like that. Um, We would love to know like how to get started with those foundational ideas. Yes. Yes. So I'm very, very, um, you're going to hear me talk a lot about solid sleep foundations and how we can sleep, uh, implement that sleep foundation. And it's all about the building block. You know, if we are missing pieces, then we're not going to be able to have the best sleep that we can. And starting with that, you know, my top number one is our sleep environment. Setting up the proper sleep environment for your baby and your child is very important. And it's going to look a little different, you know, from a newborn baby versus a toddler. Their sleep environment might be set up a little differently, but we really want to make sure we're incorporating healthy sleep environments from, you know, the right temperatures in the room, the right um, sleep sack or the right swaddle, making sure they have adequate noise machines and sound machines. And I know a lot of people are kind of hesitant on the noise machines, but we have to think about in 2021 where we're at right now, there's a lot of distractions outside. Um, There's a lot of technology. There's a lot of things that can interrupt our sleeping pattern. So if we can make a better sleep environment, we want to do that. And um, those are really important things we implement in the sleep environment along with, you know, proper blackout curtains and shades, um, especially for little ones who are taking naps. It's hard to nap in a room that's super bright. uh, So we want to make sure we have those implemented in our sleep environment. The next thing I talk about is proper sleep education. And that's just being educated on what is going to be best for your baby or your child at that age that they're at right now. Sleep education is going to also look a little different for each age. We need to, t- you know, look at how old is your baby? What are some of the biggest things we need to work on at this age? What are some of the proper education? If we have a baby that's being swaddled, or do, are we swaddling correctly? Do we have the right swaddle? Do we make sure that if they are in a swaddle or a sleep sack that they're not overheating or getting too warm, making sure that, you know, again, going back to that proper room temperature, 
sleep education is very, very important. And unfortunately, you know, when you're in the hospital, they don't give you that manual that that says, here's all the important things you need to remember about sleep education. And this is how you're going to set up, you know, a proper education for sleep. And this is how you're going to have a proper sleep environment. And all of those things are missing. So a lot of times we need to reach out to someone such as myself that we can be educated on, hey, what's going to be best for my baby, especially setting it up from the newborn stage, how we can get better sleep going in the right direction. I love that. I have a question, specifically blackout curtains. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So this is like, I I think this probably relates to any of these things like the swaddle and the sound machine. And so we, we love all of us have sound machines, but I feel like you can get used to those. So like my kids are pretty flexible sleepers. Like they'll sleep in the car and they'll sleep if we're on in a hotel room without all of these things. Mm-hmm. I think because we have some of those, but they don't rely on them. But I have like some friends, like even my nieces are like really like they can't sleep in a car. They can't sleep anything unless they have like their blackout curtains, their sound machine, their cozy beds. You know, they're just like creatures of comfort maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're difficult, I think in terms of flexibility because of that, you know? Yeah. And it, and that honestly goes back to every child is different. So my yeah. first child Easton he was always a fabulous sleeper. He could sleep on the go. He could sleep in a hotel room. He could sleep anywhere and not affect his sleep. And we could get home and he'd go right back to where he was, you know, never an issue. My second daughter, you know, my second child, my daughter, she was complete opposite. We had to have everything specific. It needed to be what it needed for her. Um, And then my third child was kind of in the middle. Like sometimes she'd be a little iffy, but you know, sometimes we go on vacation, she'd be great. So I think it always goes back to every child. And again, it's just setting up that environment for what's going to fit their needs the best. Mm -hmm. And we always would love for all our children to be flexible. That would be great. (laughs) And be able to just, Hey, sleep here or there or sleep in your, you know, we get home and you sleep great. But because every child's different, Sometimes you just know that, hey, this is this child needs all of these things, and this is what's going to give them the best sleep possible. So mm-hmm. if we can help, you know, make that happen and we're going on vacation, let's bring the blackout curtains. Let's bring the sound machine. Let's do all those things. And then some babies and children, some love the car and some just don't. Some are good nappers in the car and some are not. So that's just another thing where it's some babies love it and do well and others just it's not their cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's just like learning kid to kid, like Mm -hmm. going back to the swaddle, what we were saying about swaddles, it's so funny. Like Charlotte, I did all the things like wrapped her really tight, sound machine. She was a pretty good sleeper. We did mom's on call schedule and Mm -hmm. we kind of got it down pat. But John Ryder has hated the swaddle from day one. I have never swaddled him. And people think that is wild. But and I don't know if that's good or not, but that's the only way he would sleep. So well, yeah, I don't know it goes back in- to that preference on okay. that. Yeah, because um, I feel like you could get so hung up on the do's and the don'ts of what people say. Like, what's your advice to people that have just a, a baby that just bucks the system. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. And that's, again, goes back to babies are going to be different and all what they need. And I do like that we do have a lot of options now on the Mm -hmm. market as far as swaddles and different types where some are the more stricter, you know, 
wrapping them, swaddling them up, and some give them more freedom where their arms are up, their hands are up, mm-hmm. um, or give less restriction. And we, we do have a lot more choices to find that a baby might enjoy. I do say, you know, I love um, if a baby isn't accepting the swaddle, you know, a sleep sack is really good to start incorporating just because the crib should be bare until they're 12 months of age. Right. And it really, you know, A, gives them that signal and that cue that sleep time has arrived. And then it also gives them that comfort item that they can kind of start to have is they hold on to and go into and it's a safe item that they can use. Um, so it's really important. You know, I do love a good sleep sack to, to get them into. And again, I know there are, I've worked with clients where there's some babies that they just not their preference and they don't want it. And, you know, there are those times that they won't use it and that's okay. We, that's why it's, it's really important for families to kind of find, you know, that sleep consultant, like find Serenity Sleepers or find my blog, find my Facebook groups. And all these questions can be answered and give you more information, you know, about your child. Because a lot of times every child is different. So if you can find that resource, it's going to be really helpful and dive into learning more. um, And what's going to fit your baby is really going to be helpful. That's so true. Okay. Um, I have also a question about newborn specifically. So we talked a little bit about what helps as far as like the room environment, like the sound machine and the blackout curtains and the sleep sack and all those things that signal bedtime. But how important is a schedule? I think some people, it depends on who you ask. Like, I think Kathy, you followed a schedule too. I live and die by the schedule. I feel like that's how my babies both got to sleep at eight weeks. But some people, it doesn't really work. And maybe it goes back to baby... All babies are different, but some people go by the uh, sleep on demand, feed on demand motto for newborns. So for women that can't figure it out just yet, as far as like their baby's not sleeping or their newborn's not sleeping, how important is a schedule? And do you have any advice on tricks surrounding a sleep schedule, I guess? Yeah. And the first thing that people really need to know about at the newborn age is, you know, a strict schedule at the newborn age just isn't possible. Um, Just because their sleep patterns are so much different, once they reach that three to four month marker and their sleep patterns are changing, they're going from that two-part sleep cycle to look more like our sleep cycles and it's changing, that's where like more schedules can start to emerge in that three to four month marker. But until that point, what you really want to focus on is more about the routines, giving them those cues and those signals of sleep time has arrived, setting in place, simple routines for them. And that can even be, you know, before bedtime, it's a five to seven minute, simple, simple routine of we have three to four things that we do each night that can just start getting their body adjusted to that. And along with the routines is also thinking about their wake windows, especially in, you know, the first six months of life, wake windows are really important to watch. So you kind of just get timings down of like, Hey, I have a two month old that really likes to be awake about an hour and 20 minutes. So I know within an hour and 20 minutes, I need to start getting them ready for some sleep, another nap in the day. Watching those routines can be really helpful and beneficial. And for those that even once your baby gets to that three, four month mark where schedules can emerge, 
you've started to implement some routines for them. And that can help you not feel like you are on such a strict schedule, but you Mm -hmm. are still having some consistency in there. They are knowing when sleep time is arriving. You know to watch their wake windows. And you can start to see just by doing those things, once they hit that three, four month marker, you can start to see them naturally have some scheduling kind of start to emerge at that point too. I think that that's good to hear because I think a lot of moms, including myself, when I have a, you know, five week old baby sticking to a schedule can be stressful because they're really, it's good to hear you say that. Like they're really just not ready for like a strict schedule yet. Mm -hmm. But then I've also heard controversy later as they get older. I was going to ask you about like wake time. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard controversy where it's like, okay, well make sure the baby doesn't sleep this long during the day so he can sleep at night. But then with my babies, I'm like, well, goodness, if I'm trying to keep them awake for some reason, they're more fussy and they're more tired and they're more agitated. That's what I was going to ask about. Ruthie used to be like that. She would get overtired if we did too much during her wake window. And then it was like hard to go to bed. Yeah. But there's controversy out there that there's, I've, I actually have a friend of a friend who's out of town and she, her method, I think she had a sleep consultant. I don't know that said like, try to keep the baby up during the day so it could sleep at night. And I'm like, oh. we can, de- we can debunk <laughs> some things. Okay. Yeah. So we're not going to name any names. <laughs> yes. <laughs> answer Kathy's question too. Cause I feel like we've been talking about that recently is like, mm-hmm. what's the right answer there? Right. And that's, you know, a lot of people have that mentality or that thinking, if I keep them up in the day or I don't give them enough day sleep, then they're going to sleep better at night because they've got so much sleep that they need to get in. Right. And actually, it's quite opposite because as our babies and us, as, as the day goes on, our cortisol uh, cortisol levels rise, which is our stress hormones. When our stress hormones are rising, we can't have our natural melatonin set in place in the evening. And so we start to get overtired. And by overtired, they can be hard to fall asleep, hard to settle. They can fall asleep and wake shortly after. They can have very short spurts of sleep during the night. And all of that kind of plays a factor into it and why it's so important that we do watch their wake windows. Or if your baby is at an age, say six, eight months or above, where they are more on a scheduled timing of naps, it's important we get those in place because if not, then our sleep totals are low for the day and we go into what I call sleep debt. When we have sleep debt in the day, it's going to cause rocky sleep overnight for most babies and children because we didn't get enough proper sleep in place during the day. And then we set up for a hard bedtime or hard overnight sleep. It's about balancing it. So yes, you've got to make sure that A, you're watching the wake windows correctly or scheduling their nap times correct if they're at that age and balancing how much total day sleep they need along with how much overnight sleep they're going to need to make sure we are in the sweet spot, as I call it, on timings and how much sleep we are getting so that that just helps your baby, you know, have adequate total sleep. That's great. Do you guys put out recommended schedules for like the first 12 months or do you have any you can recommend? So I actually do have on my website where you can um, sign up and get a wake window chart for the first two years of life. And it tells you how much total sleep they need, how many naps they should be on, you know, overall sleep we should be seeing. So that wake window chart tells you all of that good information and you can sign up for that on my website. Actually a great thing to print out so you can see from month to month. 
um, how much total sleep your baby needs, what their wake window should be, how many naps they should be taking, and kind of keep that on your fridge or in your office somewhere so you know when they are moving from month to month what we should be seeing. That oh, that's awesome. I we'll need link to print that in the show notes. Yeah. We are excited to have Seeking Health back as a sponsor for season two of the Talk To Me Sister podcast. If you want quality vitamins, you can use our code SISTERS2 for 10% off your next order. This exclusive coupon gets you 10% off your next order. That's SISTERS2. Visit SeekingHealth.com. I feel like that has a lot to do to like, even just kids. Like I have a four year old and a seven year old and it's, it's like some people will be like, Oh, just keep them up and they'll (laughs) sleep better. It's like, no, no, no. They will wake up (laughs) at six o'clock on the dot. Whether we go to bed at 7 PM or 9 PM. (laughs) That's always how it is. So like, we might as well just put him to bed. And there's nights that like, say we have friends over or we watch a movie late. We don't go to bed till nine 30. They won't wake up even earlier the next day. It's like the opposite of what our minds think is going to happen. So I'm like, we just got to stick to that 730 bedtime. It's so true. And that actually happens the older your kids get. Like, I feel like Kathy, even with, yeah, like Ruthie and Sam's age and Charlotte's age, it's like, it gets, that's more and more true. I'm like, I know, they'll sleep and they get, early, and the they get more, older. And the second you say that, second you say maybe they'll sleep in, you've jinxed yourself. They will exactly. not. They will not. <laughs> and, and that's why I call it, I call it the nap sweet spots and the bedtime sweet spot. Because if we don't hit that sweet spot, then they have missed that, that window for proper and good sleep where they can get into that good deeper sleep. And we've missed that. And then their body can go into overdrive. Um, and we can have restless sleep or we wake early in the morning. And, you know, that's why it's really important that we kind of watch those timings and we know our children best and we know when they need to go to bed. And a fun fact is uh, my son is in sports now and there's times that he has later games um, and we try and keep those to a minimal. But when he does that, I actually either I don't go to the games or I get a sitter for he, for the sitter to come with my girls who still need to be in the bed around 7, 730. Um, and I have a sitter come over because I do not sacrifice their sleep needs because I know if I do, it's It's going to be a rough night. And then we're going to have a rough day the next day. Um, and then one of, I told you my daughter has health issues and when her sleep totals are not in a good spot, we are sacrificing her health issues. So that is something that we always plan for and just know that if he has something going on late, um, later than they need to be out, then we either... One of us stays home or we get a sitter um, and just know that that's going to be best for them. Okay, quick question. What are your ages of your girls that go to bed at seven? Um, They are four and six. Four and six. Okay. That I was before Kathy has one more question about newborns, but that was my question about toddler bedtime. I always think that Charlotte, we put her to bed too late. And I think we do. She (laughs) goes to bed bed at eight. (laughs) No, she sleeps good. She sleeps. She wakes up at 7 a.m. She does sleep in more than my kids. She's four and a half. She's like, she's asleep by eight o'clock and she wakes up at 7 a.m. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, Yeah. that's not. So, and Amelia is is my four-year-old and she's in this mix of where at preschool, she really doesn't get naps very well there. But when she's at home, she's a high need sleeper Mm -hmm. and she actually can still take an hour and a half plus nap 
and then Mm. go to bed at night. But we're in this funky stage where she's kind of ridding the nap or she's not getting the nap at preschool. And when she doesn't nap, she just needs to be in bed by 7 or 7.15 at the latest. Anytime she goes to bed after that, I can assure she's either going to wake up earlier or at the same time. So I'd rather put her to bed at 7.15. And know that she will wake sometimes at 6.30, sometimes at 7.30. But know that she's getting all of that total sleep. And, you know, 11 hours, if yours goes to bed at 8 and she wakes at 7, that's 11 total hours. And that might be her sweet spot on that. You know, I would watch going, you know, not pushing it any further than that. We we could be missing out on um, restorative sleep that is good for her. Okay, Um, But 11 total hours of sleep is normal in a 24-hour period at this age. Um, I know. I haven't adjusted it yet because she sleeps so good. Like, I have to wake her up for school. But then I'm like... I hear these seven o'clock bedtimes for like five and six year olds. And I'm like, Oh, that seems so early. And if you ever want to test it, I say kind of test it with 10 to 15 minutes. So just say, Hey, let's put her to bed at 745, 7.50 and kind of see what happens. So then it's nothing too drastic and you can kind of get some data and feedback on how it went. Okay. And it could, if she's, if you're missing that sleep window, like it could help bedtime because Sarah does have a hard time with Charlotte. Like yeah, she bed. does. She but I did try to put her to bed. Richard tried to put her to bed at seven one night and she was just like playing in her room. I was like, she is wide awake. Like, I don't know how people like it's like yeah. it was summer, too. Like it was oh, yeah. like it was yeah. like, <laughs> light outside. She's like, Mom, like, why am I in my bed? I'm like, everyone else puts their kids to bed at seven. You're going to bed at seven. And maybe that's and where just, the intervals like, would work. Like, hey, not, let's just put her down 10 or 15 minutes early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An hour. Yeah. She was like, what's happening? Why am I in bed right now? But yeah, I'll try this. I'll try 745. I think I would worry more if she was waking up at 4 a.m. or something, but Yes. Anyway, but I was, my question was with people with toddlers, like what's that sweet spot bedtime? So seven Um, to seven. Anywhere between seven, some can be eight and and you have to think about it too, because some toddlers are still napping, even four to five years old. There are some children who are still napping. So say they are taking a, a nap you know, they might be closer to that 8 p.m. range on going to bed. And then you have to think about it. Sometimes it's time to remove the nap. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you have a a preschooler that is still napping and their bedtime's getting later and later and later, you know, that's where we have to look at seeing if, you know, do we need to reduce the nap? Do we need to pull the nap? And when you do that, you really have to think about, okay, I've pulled that nap completely they're going to need to move bedtime up because this is the first time in their life they're never going to have a nap place so that's so true because she so she naps at preschool almost I mean every day from twelve thirty to 2 so yes. I guess when they when Miss Lauren pulls the nap we'll probably have to do the 7 8 uh, p.m bedtime yeah. but and that can be very normal since she still is on a nap that she's going to bed at eight um especially with that kind of nap so definitely you will see changes when when that nap is removed or she's not napping anymore. Kathy, have you bedtime. removed the nap? Do you remove the nap at like this age, right? Cuz Sam, four, Sam naps of... probably twice a week. He doesn't nap the days he goes to school. Um okay. he loves sleep. He's a high sleep, high needs sleep as Kelly would yes. say or something. But um, <laughs> he loves sleep. He's ready. He's falling asleep on the couch if we are not moving to oh, bed. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, but he doesn't nap every day. Um, Kelly, I heard you speak at an event one time we did together and 
you talked about for toddlers having like a sleep box um, to kind of get ready for bed. I would love for you to share that. And then I do have one more infant question, but I I felt like what's a sleep box. Yeah. Charlotte would like this, Sarah. (laughs) Yes. So a lot of times once we hit that toddler preschool age, you know, they're ready for more things in their routines. They like a few choices um, and how they can be a part of the bedtime routine. So I like to create a bedtime box and he put in this bedtime box, just things that would be helpful for them to be a part of their bedtime routine. You might have a couple books in there. You might have um, a low key activity in there for them to do. It might be a simple puzzle, or it might be some coloring, or it might be those, I don't know if y'all have seen those little pop-it fidget things mm-hmm. that oh, kids have love seen to those. have. Everywhere. Those are cute. Yes, just something simple that's going to make them want to look forward to bedtime. They can actually choose. You can have multiple things in the bedtime box and say, tonight we're going to choose three things from your bedtime box. You go choose the three items that you want to have a part of your bedtime routine and you make that choice and we're going to do that tonight. So they might pick, you know, their book. They might pick coloring and they might pick a a puzzle or something they want to do. And it gives them choices and makes them be excited about bedtime and makes them feel like, hey, I'm no longer in the baby stage where you are just reading books, singing me a song, you know, and putting me to bed. And Mm -hmm. that is like super, super helpful. I found over the years um, for little ones to have that bedtime box and you can, you know, change it out monthly. There's tons of ideas that you can put into the bedtime box. You just want to make sure that it's low key, low stimulation activities, no electronics. And and that goes to another important part is this is for babies up to adults. A lot of times we get too much stimulation, too much electronics in the evening. Mm -hmm. um, And it's really hard for our brain to shut off. And it's really hard for us to settle to sleep. So I say ideally 45 minutes up to an hour before bed that we're cutting off those electronics so their brains are having a rest period. You know, kind of get lower key activities for them to do leading up into bedtime. But it's really important that we watch how much electronics um, and those higher stimulation things that are happening in the evenings. Ooh, that's, so that's good. such good such advice. I feel like I need a bedtime box, like put my phone away. (laughs) We all do. Yeah, a book and a candle and a devotional. Yeah. Um, The last thing I'll ask about the toddler. So I'm going to try the bedtime box. I can't promise that Charlotte won't try to manipulate me and like want to just play for hours with the box. But you talk about having your kids put themselves to sleep and... Richard's always like, Sarah, you're spending way too much time doing this really long routine. Like she needs to learn how to put herself to sleep, uh, shut her eyes, and then that's it. So like what age is appropriate for them? Like obviously I kiss her goodnight, but when can you kind of like shorten? I don't know if you feel like this, Kathy, but like it can just drag out. It can drag out. And that's probably my daughter just like wanting to play with me. And it's like, okay, I've got to get back to my newborn and... We got to go to bed, but yeah, this is the age that I call them the master negotiators. They are really good at stalling and really good at negotiating. And one thing that I find really helpful this age is to implement a um, timer. So you can actually have a timer they can set or just set the timer 
my kids actually have like the little in their kitchen in their play areas like one of those old school little timers that you turn it and that's what we use if we're wanting to like set a timer on okay this is how long our bedtime routine is you can set the timer and when the timer goes off that means the bedtime routine is over and we're done and we're going to transition into sleepy time and put everything away timers help a lot at this age and also um, bedtime charts so like they're able to put stickers on a chart when every they've done everything you know they brush their teeth they can put a check or a sticker they've you know read their story put another sticker it kind of keeps them on task and lets them see because children preschoolers toddlers want to see what they're doing so they can actually see and visualize with the timer and with the bedtime routine chart exactly what they're doing every night and the last step is going to be you know where we put everything away lights are off and it's time for you to go sleepy Sleepy time. Sarah, I'll tell you what helped us, uh, and mainly in the morning, because we don't have trouble with bedtime. We just have trouble with, like, early wake, early risers, which mm-hmm. is probably a whole nother topic, Kelly. But what has yes. helped us yeah. is, are, is those, um, is one called Teddy. Yeah. You know, and it turns green when they are They're allowed to get wake out up. of bed. Yeah. But he also falls asleep at a certain time, so his, his face looks sleep like he's asleep and his light turns dark blue and they like they listen to him they're like let's play and I'm like oh guys Teddy's asleep I mean I would let you play but sorry yeah (laughs) Teddy's saying it's time for a bed and they like listen to the extra it's like listening to the alarm going off yeah that's worked for a lot of my friends I need to get I need to get one I think they're called hatch right yeah the hatch is a a really good one do you endorse that Kelly (laughs) yes I love the hatch that's one that and the reason a lot of families like it because it's great from like newborn all the way up, you know, to mm-hmm. preschool age because it's got a nightlight feature. So if you have a newborn you're trying to feed in the night, mm-hmm. it's got a light on it. You can control it from your phone. Um, it's also got a sound machine. The only thing about the sound machine on the hatch, um, I actually tested this out. It can get really, really loud um, <laughs> and actually be. Um, over the decibels we need it to be for safe hearing. So if you're using the sound machine, just make sure it's not super loud. Wow, that is good to know. Yeah, good to know. Um, Okay, well, we have one more question and then we'll wrap up. And everybody wants to know about kind of crying it out. It's always the question. And you do mention that you guys use really gentle techniques for sleep training. So it's hard because there's a balance there between trying to teach your kid to fall asleep on its own and then also then not feeling alone and all of those things that come with yeah, out. not leaving them so, too long crying. I'm sure yeah. this could be a long answer, but we would kind of love to know generally what your thoughts are. Right. And first, for some reasons, whenever you hear the word sleep training, people always think cry it out. They always think that cry it out and sleep training go hand in hand for some reason. And the first thing is, you know, sleep training is completely separate from cry it out. Cry it out is a type of method used for sleeping, but it, you know, they're separate and sleep training is all about just helping your child learn the skills of sleeping. You know, our little ones are not born knowing how to sleep. We have to help guide and support them through this sleep journey. So we want to be sure that we're helping them by learning to shape their sleep. And cry it out while it works great for some families, and that's what they choose. Um, I always say it's a family choice. So you've got to feel comfortable in what methods and techniques you want to use. And if cry it out works for you, that's great, and that's what you want to go with. But here at Serenity Sleepers, um, I am all about parents guiding, helping, and supporting them throughout this journey and being able to help them 
through this sleep learning process because I actually want them to have the foundations of sleep, know how to put themselves to sleep, learn how to put themselves to sleep, how to link their sleep cycles. And laying that foundation is so important. And so I just find that families um, really want to be there throughout this, this process. And Actually, we can. I work often with newborn families where no, we're not sleep training, but we are. We are providing sleep education. We are giving them proper sleep foundations. We are laying the stage for sleep even from the early newborn days. So as they get older, they're able to have those building blocks of sleep, and we're able to give them, you know, those important skills. And actually, in the first six months of life, there is so much we can do that you don't even need to implement Cry It Out. Mm-hmm. There's so much hands-on, parent-guided, directed methods and techniques that we use that we don't even need to incorporate those Cry it Out methods, especially when we, we get it early. At any age, I am all about as gentle as we want to go and as slow as parents want to go and trying to keep the tears as minimal as possible is what we work on. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what we really focus on. And it's just really important that families understand that you don't have to do cry it out if that's not an option, um, that we are able to do so much more just with the parents there helping and guiding them throughout this sleep journey. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Yeah. I remember like, I can like still feel it to this day. My arm being like numb from putting Samson in his crib and he would cry, but I would just stand there for, I mean, for almost the whole nap and just pat his back. Pat, pat, pat. Oh, <laughs> my yeah. arm, like, feeling. I was like, well, at least he's in his crib. At least he's in his crib. Oh, and gosh. it took a long time. And then all of a sudden I was patting him for two minutes and then one minute. And then, you know, and then I yes. didn't need me to pat him anymore. But, oh, man. I mean, my, I, I, would pat I feel like that's. Was, I feel like what you said, Kelly, though, is hopeful because for a lot of women that are struggling with like babies that aren't sleeping because and crying, because I feel like moms that don't know like a lot about sleep training. And I was probably like this with Charlotte, like you associate sleep training with tears and crying it out and just being horrible. So it's encouraging to know that that's not the route everyone has to take. And it can if you start early enough, it could be a gentle in easier experience than maybe what you have in mind. So, so um, that's so encouraging. Well, um, this has been very encouraging and enlightening. You are a wealth of knowledge um, and tell listeners about your new sleep regression guide and how to connect with you further. If they have, you know, needs or support. Yes, of course. I'm so excited. We have just launched our brand new sleep regression guide. Myself and my colleague and assistant, Bailey, have poured hours and months into this guide, and it's covering all of the sleep regressions from that very first one around four months of age all the way up until the last one at age three. We are bringing you individual um, comprehensive guides for every regression. Along with that, you get a short video from me talking um, you through the regressions, what we should be looking for, how their milestones and developments are impacted, how we can overcome the regressions 
things. Also, you get quick takeaways. So you're the, the biggest highlights you should be looking for at each um, regression phase. And you can actually, we just launched the pre-sale, which it is on sale this week. Um, and you can go to my website, www.serenitysleepers.com. And you can grab this comprehensive guide for $19.99. And like I said, it's going to give you the sleep regression, starting with the very first one at four months, all the way to three years of age. So you will be able to use this for years to come. And we we just poured ourselves into it. My colleague, Bailey, is a pediatric occupational therapist. So she was able to bring in the milestones, the developments, what is happening on that side. And then I was able to bring in the sleep part of it. And we were able to give you so much information and a lot of questions answered. Regression is one of the biggest things we always hear about and get questions about. So we wanted to bring something to families that everyone could afford, everyone would benefit from, and you could use it for years to come. So you can go to my website, serenitysleepers.com, find that. Plus, you can find more things on my website from blog posts. I have a great deal of blogs on my website. And you are able to also, if you are needing more more one-to-one support and help from me, I have tons of options from phone calls all the way up to VIP support and help for one-to-one clients. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing. They, you, we were lucky enough to get a little sneak peek into the sleep regression guide. It's so much it information. It is, is super so thorough. Good. I didn't know. The only sleep regression I've ever heard about really is like the four month sleep regression. Yes. You can kind of brace for impact. But I had no idea that honestly they were ongoing ones. It makes you feel like less crazy when you're prepared. I know. Like I was looking at all the ages, like all was like as three the, years old. Yeah, like as the kid gets and I was like, Oh my gosh, like it's amazing. You're everybody should get it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I hope it. everybody um, enjoys it and can learn a great deal from it. All the feedback we've got so, so far has been amazing and everyone's really already starting to watch the videos, read through the guides, feels like they have a better grasp on all these regressions that are to come or that are happening with their little ones. So we are just thankful to offer this to everyone. Amazing. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for being with us today and having this important conversation. You are so wise and it's going to help us probably all get some better sleep. So (laughs) yes, we all need better sleep and the sleep guide is so good. Everybody needs to check it out. Kelly, thank you. Thank we'll be you. Calling you with more questions. Yes, anytime. <laughs> it's my favorite topic to talk about. And I'm really glad that you had me on and just able to answer questions and share some things about sleep. And I really appreciate it. Yes. Next okay, time you're so. back, we can talk about mom sleep. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we could be selfish and talk about ways we could sleep better. Yeah, that's uh, right. So funny. Exactly. Yeah. It. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Also, make sure to check out our Amazon store. Thank you.